Hi, this is Sandy Simpson from Apologetics Coordination Team. Thank you for choosing one of our podcasts, and I hope that you enjoy it and it's a help to you. Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is for you. Uh, glad to see all of you guys here today. Um, I heard you had a good, the women had a good uh, Bible study with with Sarah, as I would always expect, and uh, glad you were, you're getting together for that, and glad to see you here today uh, as well. Um, we are continuing on, and we're going into 2 Corinthians 10 today, where Paul starts uh, making a defense for his ministry, and, you know, he he wanted to make sure that he didn't lose the church at Corinth to false teachers and people who called themselves Christians, but were living and promoting worldly lives. Unfortunately, today, that's not going on in a lot of churches. The leadership is not being watchmen and staying awake and protecting their church. And that's why we have so many problems in the churches today. They've let stuff in. They didn't stand. Well, he starts out the chapter, verse 1, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standard, standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. That's a good thing to remember today. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once our obe your obedience is complete. Now, verse 5 is something that I've taking, taken almost as a verse to represent the apologetics ministry that I'm doing, because that is exactly what we do. We demolish arguments. But we also attempt to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ, to have the mind of Christ in doing so. And that's the balance we need to have. Well, Paul doesn't want to have, have to come on forcibly when he visits them. So he tries to warn them ahead of time to get some things straightened out before he comes. Now, there were people there who thought that Christians could live by the standards of the world. But Paul had already talked about the weight of glory that we carry because of God's gift to us and the relationship to us in Christ through the indwelling spirit. Paul reminds them that we do not use worldly methods in our fight. We cannot be in the world and of the world and fight the effects of sin. The weapons we are to fight with are not from the world. They are weapons of spiritual warfare and we know about that from ephesians 6 11 through 18 put on the full armor of god 
so that you can make take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, by the way, we're there, folks, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Boy, that's an important passage. And we'll get into that uh, when I get when I move on to Ephesians. I'll be teaching that next. Well, we've looked at this passage before, but let's look at it this time in view of fighting with offensive weapons in order to demolish strongholds. First of all, our enemy is not people, it's demonic powers. We're to stand our ground in fighting the enemy in the power of the Lord. Some take that to mean we are to be passive while God does all the work for us. But standing our ground means not backing away from the fight, not sitting down, not becoming complacent. Some of the armor of the Lord is for defensive purposes, yes, just as the armor of any soldier, such as the belt of truth, the blessed bread, uh, breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. But there are also weapons in this armor that are used to attack. Those would be the sword of the spirit or the word of God and prayer that is used to both defend and attack. And of course, feet fitted with the readiness to spread the gospel. You know what? The gospel is the most effective attack against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's why the devil hates the gospel because it directly attacks what he's trying to set up. With these weapons, both defensive and offensive, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. These strongholds are the hold the enemy has on people. Paul's plainly addressing uh, the offensive weapons we have because he goes on to say that we demolish arguments against the truth. How do we do that? We do it with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. This is why it's so important to be a student of the word and hide his word in our hearts so that when we're confronted by those who do not believe, we can effectively demolish their arguments, leaving them with no real resistance to the gospel. We can never forget that spreading the gospel involves arguing for the truth. And it's a real fight against strongholds of unbelief and, you know what, even demonic devices. Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 
a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fighting the good faith means we also take captive every thought. That's because our minds are also a battleground for the enemy. He can put thoughts in your mind as temptations to sin. The first place you need to take control with the help of the Lord is in your thoughts. If you're not fighting for control of your thoughts, you can soon be, they soon become outward actions. So when an evil, sinful thought comes into your head, whether from yourself or from the enemy, you need to renounce that immediately and ask the Lord for help not to have those thoughts. The more you stand against those thoughts, the less the enemy can use them against you. Of course, he'll move on to other tactics. But just like on the battlefield, we have to take ground in order to eventually win the battle and finally the war. You got you to gotta take some ground, man. That's what we're here for. If we give up ground, the enemy becomes stronger and gains control over our lives. But we have the power within us to stand against those attacks. We have divine power to accomplish victory. And let us never forget that. Paul reminds them to obey the Lord so that when he comes, he'll not have to convince them to, to obey, but will only have to deal with those who are disobedient. He goes on to verse 7. You're looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down. I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> wow, nice words. Such people should realize that what, we're, uh, uh, what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we're present. You know, our problem as human beings is that we tend to look at things on the surface. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Corinthians needed to understand the authority Paul had as an apostle. God gave him the authority to build up the Corinthian church. Paul's warnings to that church were not intended by himself or the Lord to pull people down. Nonetheless, Paul would not be ashamed of the authority the Lord gave him. He would not be cowed into submitting to people who did not have the authority of the Lord. Always keep that in mind, folks. Paul's purpose was not to frighten people with his letters, but to warn them in order to build them up. Paul wrote forcefully, but in person, he was meek. Yet people were t 
taking that truth a step further and spreading talk that he was an unimpressive person and his speaking amounted to nothing. That was just patently untrue. His speaking was what planted the church and why so many had been saved. His speaking taught them about the word of God and began to bring them to maturity in Christ. So Paul warns them that he may have to be just as straightforward when he comes to them face to face as he has been in his letter. But the reason he was straight with them in his letters is so that when he came to them, he could deal with other issues rather than spend all his time rebuking them. Nonetheless, he was prepared to rebuke them face to face if they needed it. Verse 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So Paul doesn't rely on himself uh, or men to commend his ministry. Others would blow their own trumpets about themselves, so to speak. But Paul calls this not wise. You know, it's never a good idea to boast about yourself in order to establish your reputation. Better to have others do that, and best to let the Lord do that. Paul's boasts would not be about himself, but his boasting would be about the work that the Lord was doing in the places God had sent him to. Paul was hoping that as the faith of the Corinthian Christians continued to grow, then so would their area of influence. Paul wanted them to fully support what Paul was doing so that he would be able to reach farther uh, with the gospel. Other good teachers had established churches in other places, and Paul was careful not to take credit for or boast about their work. But the main point is that our boasts about the expansion of the church and people being saved needs to be credited to the Lord. It's the Lord's flock. The Lord is ultimately the one who gives his stamp of approval on the gospel outreach because it's the one whom the Lord commends that is truly commended, not the one who brags about himself. Oh, bragging. It's gotten so many people in trouble, especially these days. Here's a little story about boasting. It's called Why the Frog Fell. Two geese went about to start uh, southwards on their annual autumn migration, 
were asked by a frog to take him with them. The geese, the geese expressed their willingness to do so if a way of carrying the frog could be devised. The frog produced a stalk of long grass, but the two geese got the two geese to take it one by each end, and then he clung to it with his mouth in the middle. In this way, the three were making their journey successfully when they were noticed from below by some men who loudly expressed their admiration of the device and wondered who had been clever enough to discover it. The frog opened his mouth to say it was me, <laughs> lost his hold, fell to the earth, and was dashed to pieces. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when people open their mouths a lot of times. Sometimes when we open our mouths to boast about ourselves, it can be the beginning of a fall. Of course, you remember Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, a lot of people have haughty spirits today. You look at these guys who are acting like peacocks on TV. They're haughty. And uh, the Lord doesn't bless that. The Lord doesn't commend that. And unfortunately, people shouldn't be drawn in by that. Paul was a meek man. Moses was a meek man. Jesus was a meek man. We need to follow their example and be not be loud braggarts about ourselves blowing our own horns. Hi, this is Sandy Simpson again. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. You can come to my website, Apologetic Coordination Team at DeceptionInTheChurch.com or go to our YouTube site called Act TV and check out our DVDs and books, etc. Thank you so much for checking us out.